Hi, this is Pastor Scott Stroud, and I'd like to thank you for joining us online today as you're watching this sermon series. I know that COVID has had a big impact on the church, and many people have been viewing from home uh, for three years now. And so, if you're one of those, thank you for coming and interacting with us online. But I would also like to extend a personal invitation to come and check us out here at Elam. And we know that fellowship is very important. According to the Bible, we should not uh, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And as you're thinking about, can you come now and, and venture out and join us uh, in, in person, uh, we would like to invite you and welcome you into the fellowship aspect of our worship time. Hope to see you soon on some Sunday at 10 a.m. things about death is how sudden it could come at times. My brother Brett died suddenly back in April of 2014, nine years this month ago. And it had been a long winter back in Minnesota and some of the lakes were still kind of frozen over, uh, still had ice on them. And a couple was walking around one of those lakes and uh, they looked out and saw that there was a hole in the ice. Uh, but there was something that was floating in the middle of that hole. Evidently, my brother had wandered out on the ice and had broken through. And his daughter called me and uh, told me the news, and I was in shock. He was uh, not responding. Uh, he was in the hospital. They were trying to put him on life support, but he was not responding to the life support. But one of the saddest things about the last time that I physically saw him is that uh, we had parted in silence after a tense ride to the airport. You see, he had been drinking the day before and ended up ruining some plans that we were supposed to have with my niece and nephew. And uh, when the next morning came, I confronted him about it, and his response to my confrontation was the silent treatment. And so I boarded that plane without having spoken to him that morning with this tenseness between us. For years after his funeral, I would listen to a message that he had left me on my uh, cell phone uh, just so that I could hear his voice. Now, what do you think this morning I would do if I suddenly saw Brett walk through the back doors of the sanctuary? My preaching would come to a screeching halt, and I would run back, and I would throw my arms around him and not let go. Each one of you can probably think of someone that you would do the same thing to. A sister, a brother, a mom or dad, spouse, best friend, maybe even a child. Maybe somebody that you had some parting words that were not so great. Maybe they died without reconciliation happening in your life. And you would say all those things that you never got to say before they died. You'd probably grab them and you wouldn't want to let them go. This is exactly what happened to Mary Magdalene upon seeing the resurrected Jesus. She fell upon him, and she hugged him tightly, and she wouldn't let him go. Now remember, Mary was a sinful woman. She was one that had been forgiven of many things. Tradition tells us that she was a prostitute. We also know from the scriptures that seven demons were cast out of her by Jesus. And so she had followed Jesus throughout his ministry. And she was there at the cross. She had helped take him down off of the cross and was involved in his burial. How heartbroken she must have been 
to see all of her hopes and her dreams dashed because she believed that he was the Messiah, the one that had come to save her. And now she was the very first person to see him alive after having been raised from the dead. And this morning we're going to be looking at three things in regard to this encounter between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. We're going to attempt to apply these lessons to our lives as well as we celebrate the risen Jesus. And so the first lesson we see here in this text is that the risen Jesus stops our weeping. Isn't it interesting how Jesus always has a way of asking questions where you're like, really, Jesus, that's what you're asking me right now? Questions like, why are you weeping? (laughs) At first, Mary thought that Jesus was the gardener, and she tries to explain things to him. This was my Lord. This was my master. Not only did they kill him on a cross, but now they've added insult to injury by taking his body and doing who knows what to it. But this was no gardener. Suddenly, Mary realizes that it's Jesus when he speaks her name. There's just something amazing about hearing your own name. I've been in busy coffee shops, engrossed in conversation, conversations all around me, you know, dishes clanging, and then suddenly the the guy behind the counter speaks my name, and it cuts through everything, right through all the din that's in that coffee shop. And in addition to hearing her name spoken by Jesus, I wonder if it was the tone that caught her attention. Now, the text doesn't say how he spoke, but let's consider for a moment how we think he may have spoken. Do you think that Jesus spoke her name in a harsh tone as if to say, Mary, quit your crying and pull it together. You're an emotional wreck. Or do you think that Jesus said her name in a disappointed and condescending way as if to say, Mary, I told you I would rise again. Weren't you paying attention? I would venture to say that he spoke her name similarly to the way that he spoke it when he first saw her. We see this account in Luke 7, 36 through 39. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair, and with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who this sort of woman was, who was touching him, for she was a sinner. And we skip down to verse 48, and we hear Jesus' first words to Mary. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Pure love and grace had changed her weeping to rejoicing. When Jesus spoke her name at the tomb, I would venture to say that he said it in such a way that it was saturated with that same love and grace that he felt towards her. Many of us wonder what our first encounter with Jesus will be like when we see him face to face. Will he be angry at us for all the sins that we have committed? Will he be disappointed with us that we didn't do more for him while we were here on this earth? Will he be merely tolerant of us, perhaps feeling that he's obligated to let us into heaven, although he would rather not? 
Or will that reunion be filled with the same kind of grace and love expressed to Mary? Jesus actually tells us what that meeting will be like in his very own words in Luke 15. We heard about this two weeks ago when Danny preached. What woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You are that lost coin, brothers and sisters. You're the one that he's been seeking. And when you come to Jesus like Mary did, all of heaven, including Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, rejoices in that moment. But it wasn't only the way that Jesus called Mary's name at the tomb that stopped her weeping. It was the fact that everything that Jesus had said was true. He did rise from the grave. And that meant that the promises that he had made to his followers, that they would rise, also must be true. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 20. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first to rise from the dead of many brothers and sisters. And he has taken away the sting of death for those who love him and have placed their trust in him. The second lesson we see this morning in this text is don't cling to the risen Christ. When Mary realizes that it's Jesus who's called her name, she does the only natural thing. She clings tightly to him. I'm not letting go of you this time. I lost you once, but never again. And in that moment, you would expect Jesus to say many things. Things like, Mary, I love you so much, or Mary, I sure missed you, or don't cry, everything's going to be okay. But he says something instead very curious. He says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And Mary must have been very confused, like, what is he talking about? What Jesus was saying here was, I know that you want to hold on to me and never let me go. But I have other business to attend to. Someday you will rise from the dead and you'll be able to hold on to me as long as you want to. But now is not that time. And there's something very practical that we can learn from this encounter. Because many of us have loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord. Or perhaps right now at this moment you have somebody that is about to pass on. And at times, our tendency can be to try to cling to them. We want to extend their life, perhaps even unnaturally, through medical means. Or we might try to cling to them mentally and emotionally after they've passed. We just can't go on. We can't get over it. And so we're stuck in our lives. What if Mary had spent the rest of her life lamenting the fact that Jesus had ascended to the Father? Why did he leave me again? She would have been completely useless regarding the destiny that Jesus intended for her. And so first we must recognize that death for the Christian is very different than the death of an unbeliever. 
We see this in Psalm 115, 16, where it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Jesus is not mourning when you die. Those in heaven are not crying when you die. That's because he knows that we are coming home to be with him. The Apostle Paul knew this. That's why he said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He was saying, I want to die so I can be with the Lord. And so many times we're clinging to this life. And that's good. You know, life is great. It's wonderful while we have it. But we don't need to cling to it. And in regard to how we think about Christians who have died, Paul said, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. We have hope. We will see him again someday. Those people are in the Lord's presence, and we don't need to cling to them. We must let them go in order that we might live out the rest of our lives. When it's our turn, also, we will face death. And hopefully our loved ones will be able to let us go to be with the Lord. The third and final lesson this morning in this text is that we should tell others about the resurrection. Whenever you plan a trip to a city or country that you've never been to, one of the things that you're going to do is look at brochures about your itinerary. What are you going to be doing when you get there? Which destinations do you want to visit? How long will your stay be? What's included in the price? And one of the best ways to find out about a place that you want to visit is to talk to somebody who's already been to that place. And in regard to heaven, which is the destination of Jesus' followers, someday that you will go there if you're trusting in him, the Bible has an account of someone who actually got a glimpse of heaven, an amazing destination. We see this in Revelation 21, where the apostle John saw a vision of heaven. Listen to some of the things that uh, we see were recorded about heaven in Revelation 21. And I want you to think as I'm going through this passage about some of the things that you would look forward to the most. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus knew everything that there was to know about heaven. He knew about them. He said, in my Father's house there are many mansions, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? There's so many more amazing things. Heaven is my favorite topic. If you want to get me going... Ask me about heaven, what I think about heaven. And the reason is, as I know that there are things, that, that I know these things about heaven, is because a woman named Mary 
ran that day, and she told the disciples about the resurrection of Jesus. Then those people told other people, and those told others all the way down the line through history till today I'm standing here telling you. Somebody needs to go and tell others about the resurrection. And we're faced with a decision. Will we believe or we will reject this story as a fairy tale, an illusion, or worse, a lie? Wrapping up this morning, I want everyone here to pay special attention to Mary's main characteristic that places her right in the middle of the resurrection story this morning. She was a follower of Jesus. She loved him. She was willing to go wherever she needed to go and do whatever she needed to do to be in the center of his will. Would you place yourself in that category this morning? Do you love him? Are you a follower? If not, that's cause for great concern. I recognize that on Easter, many people come here not because they're followers of Jesus, not because they love Jesus. They come because it's the Easter thing to do. You come to Easter service with your family. A nice tradition, kind of like Santa Claus and all the other things around Christmas, but totally make-believe for you. And so the resurrection for you is going to have a totally different outcome. Yes, you will be raised from the grave, but not to experience those things that I just described are in store for the followers of Jesus. What you face is described in Daniel 12.2. It says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting, forever, contempt. Those who have placed their trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus for their salvation will live eternally in heaven, as I've described. But everyone else, even so-called good people, who have not placed their trust in Jesus, will be raised to judgment. All the things about your life will be displayed, and you will be found to be a sinner. You will be cast out of the presence of the Lord, into the lake of fire. We see this in Revelation 20, verses 12 through 15. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up their dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. One day the prostitute, Mary, woke up, got dressed, headed out the door. She had heard about a man named Jesus. She had heard about somebody who could forgive her of her sins. She found the house of this religious leader, and he, she boldly made her way in. And I'm sure there was plenty of whispering going on at the time. But she didn't stop there. She fell at his feet, weeping, aware of her sin. And maybe that's you this morning. I hope it is. I hope you've come into this house looking for Jesus. You're aware that you're a sinner. You're aware that you need salvation. And you're here to fall 
at his feet, hoping for mercy. If so, then hear the words of the Lord spoken to a broken woman 2,000 years ago that still apply to you today. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this promise because I'm a broken man who needs your salvation. Lord, thank you for Mary's courage to go and tell the disciples so that we might have this message passed down through the generations. I pray for anybody here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that they would not wait any longer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.